0: Well, it is so good to be here with you this morning, and I I say this pretty regularly, but it's just so true. I'm so thankful for the folks who come to uh, manage our tech each Sunday because it has become so much more complicated than it used to be, and then sometimes we have things like today. We've got Sean on media back there, and the video system that runs here, the screen in our auditorium, you at home are not experiencing this, I don't think, usually doesn't. But our screen is flickering and makes it interesting for those of us in the house. And then poor Vicky is back here at the live stream production desk. And this has happened to us twice now. Uh, We're all set to go. We do everything just like we do every week. And then suddenly YouTube, live streaming, just decides to take off on its own when we're not ready. And then it cancels itself on its own. And we have to scramble to put new links up and all that kind of stuff. I got a little flustered, but I'm just thankful for these folks who give their time and wade through all of that nonsense and, uh, and are here to uh, be beside us as a church and us, Jason and I, as, as your pastors. Um, we've got, you know, just our faithful folks that come and do those things. Russ is at the soundboard this morning. Appreciate that. And Jan, of course, is over there chatting with whoever wants to chat and managing the uh, communication on the live stream. And they make all of this work. And uh, without them, uh, we'd be in just a load of hurt. So when you have a chance, one of these days, when you get to see these people's faces again, or at least half of it, make sure and tell them how thankful you are for the work that they've done to continue to, to connect us and keep us connected in these awfully strange times, all right? So uh, we are looking forward to that day, and Lord willing, it'll come sooner than later. Uh, But here we are still making our way through whatever this current iteration of IRL in real life is. As Jason said, one of these days when we get to see everyone again in real life, it'll be great. So uh, I want you to go with me to Mark chapter 8 this morning. We're continuing in that series of the book of Mark, just working our way through the gospel of Mark and then touching on some other places in scripture that are connected and I'm thankful for another thing, well I'm thankful for a lot, let me tell you, there's a lot to be thankful for uh, and, and life is fragile and weird and fleeting and you've got to grab the, the moments and the celebrations that you can, you know what I mean? But I struggled with this passage this week, not because the passage is difficult. The passage is very straightforward, and there's—I've I've taught this passage before. I've talked about this story in Bible studies before. I've talked about it in uh, uh, sermons like this, in, in maybe even here at Christ Community. I'm not sure. But I I love that the Lord sometimes just swoops in and gives a perspective that I haven't considered before. And this happened to me with this passage last night just as I was turning it over in my head. I knew exactly where I wanted to go and I'm going to use pretty much everything that I prepped for this morning. And then when we get to the end, it'll be the thing that, that God just sort of... And he does this so lovingly so often as we study and contemplate his word, which by the way... I've mentioned this before, there is value in studying God's Word. In fact, uh, in Timothy it tells us, study, study to show thyself approved, a workman who needs not be ashamed, but rightly dividing the Word of truth, the Bible. There is also great value in just reading the Word, not necessarily studying it, but just Taking it in. I've spoken to you about this before, and we see it, it, it the example of it in the words of Jesus when he was tempted by uh, the devil in the wilderness. And the devil told him, you know, hey, here's some rocks. You've been out here. You've been fasting for a long time, like up to 40 days. That rock would be a great loaf of bread. And if you're really God, why don't you turn that, loaf, that, that into a loaf of bread? And Jesus says, man does not live by what? bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we get the understanding there that sometimes we just need to take in the word just as food. We're not necessarily trying to dissect it and get down into the Greek or into the Hebrew or into the Aramaic and and do this inductive type Bible study where we're making notes in the margins and highlighting things. Sometimes you just need to eat it because you eat it. It's like food. It gets in your body and it does work, and then other times you will study it, or you'll just be, you'll be, in fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on you, Frank, because I still haven't responded to your email, but I think this is what happened to you this past week, right? You're, you're just taking in the Word, and as it comes in, it's like, oh, look at that. Didn't see that before. And God shows you something new, and it's not adding to the scripture. It's just that there's, there's meanings, there's layers underneath of, of the word that sometimes we miss because our perspectives shift, our circumstances change, um, we begin to understand the character and nature of God better as we mature as a believer, and so then our approach to the scripture changes, and we understand it in different ways. And so I just, I can't encourage you enough in, in all of your life and in times like these, just... Spend time in the Word. Read it. Uh, Just get it in you. And let God do the work that he does. And so this passage, I've talked about a bunch of times. But I was struggling with a way to apply it. And again, I have a way to apply it. It's very straightforward. But he, he spoke to me in a way last night that I just appreciate. And God is just so good in his mercy to do that for us if we'll, if we'll be people who have ears to hear. Jesus said that several times, let him who has ears hear. And so I encourage you as you read your Bible, as we discuss this today, that you allow God to speak to you. And so a real short passage this morning, um, Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven. To test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Short, compact, direct, right? Now we find this same story. I want you to go with me over to Matthew chapter 16. And we we find this uh, same story given there with some slight variations, a little bit more detail. Matthew chapter 16, verse 1, it says, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came to him to test him, and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning... It will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. So keeping these two passages in mind, because they're the same story with uh, like any story that we would find, if you have multiple eyewitnesses, you're going to get different details. You're going to get different insights. You're going to maybe find out things from one observer that you didn't observe from another. That's exactly what we hear in these texts. But we see that we're talking about the same event. And there's some things I just want to highlight. First, uh, we often will find in Scripture, and you've you've heard it talked about here, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And what's, what's important about the fact here that that Matthew records that both the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus is important because it tells us how much Jesus was disliked by the structures of power in Jerusalem at this time because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because we see them paired in the language of Scripture so often, we might think that they're somehow affiliated with one another, but they're not. They actually can't stand each other. These are two religious groups, both Jews, who have some very specific ideas about how the world works and how religion works and how you find favor with God, and there are some ways in which they are on very polar opposite ends of the spectrum, mostly relating to one group thinks that all, all you need to do is look at the written law that's found for them in the Torah, and that's it. The other group thinks there's the Torah, the written law, as well as the oral traditions and the legal traditions that have grown up over the generations of the nation of Israel, that those also must be followed. There are some other distinctions that get a little more esoteric and uh, philosophical, but they can't stand each other. They are both absolutely convinced that the other one is 100% wrong, And that there's no way that the other one can possibly find favor with God. Does that give us any indication how much times don't change? As we look at our world today and we think about the different uh, factions of political thought and religious thought and cultural thought and how everyone has their own polar position and the thing that we lose in the middle is that all of us, saved and unsaved alike, are loved and valued by God, and he seeks each one to restore them to his presence. And we let so many other things get in the way of that. That was uh, part of our text here a couple of weeks ago talking about legalism and, and man-made rules and Jesus telling us, don't be subject to humans who make human rules and then present them to you as if they're religious or doctrinal truth. Don't be caught in that trap. And in fact, he's going to talk about it again in the passage that we hit next week, and it connects to this one today, but I wanted to separate these because I don't want the idea to get too big. All right, so we have these two groups who absolutely can't stand each other. They are convinced that the other one is 100% wrong and bound for separation from God and not loved by God, and they're actually being immoral, and yet they come together for a common purpose to challenge Jesus. Because the things that Jesus has been doing and the things that Jesus has been teaching are so radically different than what they want people to believe that it is now, it is now threatening their power and their religious structure. Because Jesus is telling people things like, um, you know, be kind to your neighbor. I mean, that seems weird that that would be a problem. But Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but I tell you, love your neighbor and your enemy. Which implies that the teaching they've been getting is, love the people you like, but don't so much love the people you don't like. Because he addresses it this way. Um, He tells them things like, don't be convinced that disciplining your body in such a way, for instance, uh, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at another person with lust in your heart, that you pretty much have committed adultery in the eyes of God. Whereas in the law, it was, "Ooh, it doesn't matter what's going on in my mind. As long as I discipline my body, I'm good. I got a little checklist and I'm going to, it's okay. And Jesus was, was picking away and and stripping away this foundation of religious thought for something that was not only filled with more liberty and freedom, but actually was something that would move people away from being enslaved either to sin or to the law, and instead, as we find in other places in Scripture, to become servants of grace. And so that attack Is happening here as Jesus is living, moving, and breathing and teaching on the earth. And so it says that they came to him, they went to test him, and they said, Give us a sign. Show us a sign. And it makes you scratch your head a little bit because there have been signs and wonders happening all over the place already. In fact, if you look in most of your Bibles, you will see that when you are looking at Mark chapter 8, verse 11, the story immediately before that is when Jesus miraculously feeds 4,000 people. Now, that's different from the time that he feeds 5,000 people. And we know, because we talk about the cultural context and we talk about the history, that most likely when these events were recorded, when we say 4,000 people, it was probably 4,000 men, because it was a very patriarchal society, and men were, were valued and counted that way. But almost certainly then, beyond that, in fact, we know in the story of the, the, the loaves and fishes, the feeding of the 5,000, we know, how do we know that it wasn't just men who were counted there who were present there? Anybody want to take a stab? The kid's the one who had the fish and the bread. So we know that there were more than just men there. We know that there were children. And if there were children there in a patriarchal society, who else was there? The moms, the aunties, the grandmas, the neighbor down the street that chased you with the shoe when you weren't doing right. They were all there hanging out together. And so we know from some historical perspectives that when we talk about 4,000 people, it's probably three times that many. When we talk about 5,000 people, it's three or four times that many. And these events have happened. Besides that, Jason just shared with us a story of Jesus healing a blind man's eyes. Deaf man. Sorry, it was deaf man. We're not to the blind guy yet. Ephatha, right? Be opened. Man, that was so good last week. If you haven't heard that one, go back and listen to it. It was so good. Ephatha, be opened. And yet here they stand before him and say, give us a sign. Now there are some scholars who think because of the language here where it says that they asked for a sign from heaven that they were requesting something different from the miracles that he had performed up to this point. Like uh, something more akin to... Elisha on the mountain with the prophets of Baal. And as they have their battle there, if you're not familiar with the story, I'll, I'll Reader's Digest it for you right here. It was, uh, or Wikipedia. Who even reads Reader's Digest anymore? Does anybody even, The I mean, old people know what Reader's Digest is. Um, Wikipedia version for you. There's these guys who worship this, this false god named Baal, and there's God's prophet, And they've set up a throwdown. It's kind of a WWE style, going to get in the ring and bash each other's brains out, except they're going to ask their gods to do it. And the prophets of Baal set up their altar. They put their sacrifice there. They dance around for days, screaming and hollering and singing, cutting their arms and letting their blood out, and nothing happens. The prophet, God's prophet, Elijah's over here on the side going, what's the matter, boys? Is your God deaf? Is he is he sleeping? I loved when, <laughs> my mother. God bless her. She got up. She was up at five o'clock every morning and read her Bible. And mom earned her GED sometime when I was in the late elementary school, maybe even middle school. Uh, very smart woman. Just you know. Being from the, the sticks of Virginia and family in West Virginia, schooling wasn't the highest priority that was happening in the community there. Uh, you know, my dad's story quit the job or quit the school at uh, seventh grade because he he had already taken it twice and he was like, "I'm not going around that tree a third time." <clears throat> now we call him Doctor Charles Simmons, and a great accomplishment. But my mom, she had that accomplishment too. She earned her GED, and she would read her Bible every morning, but she had no business with the King James Version of the Bible because it was too hard for her to understand, and her preferred Bible was not a translation. It's what we call a paraphrase called the Living Bible, and it's very plain (laughs) modern English. And I remember one day I was walking by and her Bible was out on the counter. She had been reading. And I looked and it was the story of the prophets of Baal and the prophet of Elijah, right? They're dancing around, cutting their arms, nothing's happening. And I'm reading through that. I said, Oh, I love this story. And I loved the language because it was more like a story. And it said, Elijah said, Where's your God? Is he asleep? Is he lost? Is he too busy? Is he on the toilet? And I thought, is that in the Bible? That's awesome. But this goes on for days. And finally, the prophets of Baal are exhausted. Nothing's happened. Now it's Elijah's turn. He consults God. God tells him build an altar, stones, put your, your bull that you sacrifice on top of that, dig a trench. Big trench around that altar. Fill it with water. Pour water all over the stones. Pour water all over the wood. Pour water all over the the sacrifice and soak that thing down with water. And so he does. And the Bible says Elijah stepped off, basically went, <clears throat> and a lightning bolt from heaven. Fire goes, and it consumes. The sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the water and the dirt. I mean, talk about an impressive display. Maybe a little overkill. (laughs) But God knows how to show up when he wants to show up. So some scholars think that when they said, show us a sign from heaven, they were asking him to do something like that because being born of a virgin, changing water into wine, remote healing of a royal official's son, casting out of demons at Capernaum, the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, the healing of the sick in the evening one day, catching a huge number of fish when no one else was catching, healing a leper, the healing of the centurion's servant, Telling a paralyzed man who's been paralyzed his whole life to walk, healing the, the withered hand of a, of a person, raising a widow's son from the dead, calming a storm, healing the man at the Gerastines uh, tombs of all of his demons, of all of his demons, healing a woman who had internal bleeding for most of her life, raising Jairus' daughter, healing two blind men. Bringing healing to a mute and demon-possessed man, healing a 38-year-old invalid, feeding 5,000 men and their families, walking on water, the miraculous healing of many people at Gennara Set, healing a girl who was possessed by a devil, healing a deaf man who also had a speech impediment, feeding 4,000 men and their families, healing another blind man, healing another man who was born blind, healing another boy who was possessed by the devil. Uh, Catching a fish with a coin in its mouth to prove a point about money, healing a blind and mute man who was also possessed by a demon, healing a woman with an 18 year calamity and infirmity, healing a man with dropsy, healing 10 lepers, raising Lazarus from the dead, healing Bartimaeus of blindness, cursing the fig tree. None of those things were sufficient prove that he was who he said he was and what is Jesus' response to this give us a sign he says no he says more than that to these guys he says red sky at night sailors delight red sky in morning sailors take warning it's literally what he says here. He says, you guys are able to look out at the sky, and if it's, if it's a beautiful red sunset at night, you're like, oh, it's going to be a nice day tomorrow. It'll be a good day for fishing. But if you get up in the morning and the sunrise is blazing red, you're like, oh, don't go out in the boat. It's going to be bad. But then he, what he's saying is, you've had all of the prophets, you've had all of the Torah, you've had all of the teaching." You've had all of the the fulfilled prophecies that you could see right before your eyes. And you've had all of these miracles that I just talked about, and it's still not enough. It wouldn't matter if there was a lightning bolt from heaven. You still would not believe. Because you're looking for truth in a place where you won't find it. And then it says he left them, and he departed. And so, an easy application of this that I want to give you, because this might be you, and you might struggle with this, it's, it's, it's the softball, is don't be a Pharisee or a Sadducee. If you're a follower of Christ... I feel confident in saying that if you've seen nothing else in your life, if you came to the moment where you knew that you needed the forgiveness that God offers, if when you knew that you wanted to have that relationship with God that is offered through receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior, submitting your life to being the life of a follower of Jesus. And in that moment, one of the things that motivates us is we understand that God loves us so deeply and he wants to be reconnected with us. And our sin is what's keeping us disconnected. And so we understand that he wants to forgive that so that we can be brought together with him. That alone is a tremendous miracle that every believer has witnessed in their own life. That the God of the universe would not only take the time, but desire to be made whole with us. But if my anecdotal experience of my own life, but then the observed experience of the other lives of believers that I've seen is that as we live our life with Christ, that is not the first and only miracle move of God that we've seen in our lives. And they may not be earth-shattering, miraculous occasions, but friends, would you, would you agree with me that as you've lived your life with Christ, you have seen the hand of Almighty God move and touch and be in the circumstances and moments of your life, both good and bad. But there are times when you've clearly seen the, the hand of God move in a way that, that enhances and, and blesses your life or moves you in a way that you, you weren't sure you could go, you didn't know if a door was going to be opened, and then and then God moved. And then in other times when you've experienced Uh, unexplainable loss and grief and disappointment has God not also then been beside you? And so the easy fruit here from this application is don't be a Pharisee don't be a Sadducee who who sees the work that God has done in your life before and then basically says do more. Do better, God. It's not big enough. Because the problem here is not what the Pharisees are asking for. It's why they're asking. They're asking because they don't believe. They're asking because it's more than just, I'm not sure. It's an active opposition to the work of God. Because see, When they ask him to give them a sign from heaven, their expectation is that he can't, not that he won't. That's the problem with religion. It's exactly what the text that we spoke about a few weeks ago. When Jesus was speaking to, to this religiosity and, and legalism and the form of man in religion, as opposed to following what the Bible tells us and being led by the Spirit of God and living in the liberty of being a follower of Christ. Remember what he said was that, that those religious leaders had set up so many rules and guidelines that weren't about God and that weren't anywhere in the scriptures that not only did people stop doing the things that were in the Bible, but they became people who were actually opposed to the things and commands of God. That's these guys. And so that's the easy fruit. Don't be one of those guys. The truth is, and at least in our circle of experience and in our church, I don't think we have a lot of people that are like that. So it becomes easy, like, oh, good, not me. Perfect. And good. But I want you to think about some other people in the scriptures. Contrast these Pharisees and these Sadducees who said, give us a sign, knowing full well that it wouldn't have mattered if Jesus had set up an altar with stones and sticks and a sacrificed bull and poured water all over it and recreated the lightning bolt from heaven. They still would not have believed. I'm always a fan of like, trying to put yourself in the story. Like, who am I in this story? And the reality is, I'm not a Pharisee or a Sadducee, and I can feel good about that. That's okay. But then this is what kind of dropped on me last night. I was struggling because I was like, if I just stop there, it's like, okay, did anybody get anything out of this, really? Except we're all going, not me, Awesome. So I want us to contrast the Sadducees and the Pharisees and their attitude. And I'm just going to hit a few examples here, but you can probably think of so many others. So many others in the story of the Bible, some that were on this list. The father whose child is sick who comes and says, I... I I kind of believe, but I've still got some unbelief. Can you help me with my unbelief? And Jesus heals his child. Jesus' own mother, Mary, who comes and sort of provokes him into his first miracle. Jesus, this wedding is a smash hit, but we've run out of wine. Can you help? Probably thinking... Jesus would run down to the store and get some more wine. And Jesus instead takes these these giant clay jars and tells the servants to fill them with water. And then from the trip from the kitchen to the dining hall, they become wine. And not any wine, but good wine the best wine of the day. Contrast the Sadducee and the Pharisee attitude with the man who comes with partial faith, but a great desire. With a mother who doesn't really know what Jesus can do about this problem, but she goes to her son and says, do something. Contrast that with the woman caught in adultery, who faces stoning at the feet of Jesus, who makes no appeal for herself, but simply sits in her shame. And at the end of their, their interaction, Jesus looks at her and says, who condemns you? She looks around and everybody who condemned her is gone. And she says, no one, sir. And then he says, guess what? I don't either. Now go. Don't do that anymore. Pick something different for your life. The rich young ruler who comes and goes away disappointed because Jesus gives him an option. The ruler says, how, do I, how, how can I be born again? I hear you talking about this. How can I be saved? And, and Jesus throws him a softball and says, well, keep the commandments knowing full well that no one has kept all of the commandments, but he's so prideful in his religion, he says, well, I've done that. And she's like, really? That's fantastic. Good for you. Okay, if you've done all of that, then take all of your wealth and give it away to the poor. Then the rich young ruler walks away disappointed. Do you see the, the comparison and contrast with the Sadducees and the Pharisees? They want to sign... They really won't believe. The rich young religious ruler wants to know how to be saved, but when he gets the information, he says, "Mm, no thanks. Contrast it with Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus, Jesus' dear friend, laid three days in the grave. And Jesus arrives, and they don't know what they're asking for. In fact, Martha's ticked off. Her first words to Jesus, if you had been here, where were you three, four days ago? And Jesus does this incredible miracle with Lazarus that we sometimes would wish for in our own lives. But it's not, it's not the daily way of the Lord. He returns Lazarus to his sisters for a season because we know that Lazarus died yet again. But we learn from that beautiful story that Jesus did that to prove that everything else he was saying was true. If he was truly the master over life and death, then he could be trusted with everything else that life throws at us. Contrast that attitude of the Sadducees and the Pharisees with Thomas, who after the Lord has been crucified and resurrected, has yet to see him and says, guys, look, I hear what you're telling me, and I trust you, but I, I, I I just can't believe it if I don't see it with my own eyes. And what does Jesus do? He shows up. what a loving response to someone's unbelief and you see that's the difference he rejected the request of the sadducees and the pharisees because they refused to believe and nothing was going to change their minds but he fulfilled the requests of all of these other people and so many more, some who then received it and a few who still rejected, but he tried with them. He, he, he presented to them. He moved in them. He healed them. He healed their loved ones because they asked in their unbelief, but they wanted to believe. And so then that that brings us down to the final. Who are you in this story? You have to answer that question. I hope, I hope that we will be the people who, even when we struggle with our faith, even when we wrestle with our circumstances, when we shake our fist at God and say, I don't understand what you're doing, I don't understand where you're going, I'm broken help me I hope that we will be people who will not be ashamed of that unbelief but will realize that God is more than willing ever willing ever faithful to meet us in that moment and help our unbelief Let me give us a closing prayer. Now may the Lord bless you, keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. And may you, may we, be a people who take our Burdens who take our struggles, who take our grieving and our disappointment, our anger, our impatience, and not hold them close as if they are shameful, but lay them before the feet of a holy God who says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. Let us be those people and see the mighty, miraculous work of God in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we're going to close out with a couple of videos here. And again, in-house, sorry, they're probably going to look terrible. The audio will be fine out there in streaming land. As far as we know, they're looking great. Uh, The first one is going to be just an update on the Bats family. Um, I don't have this link that Jan can send, but I will include it In our newsletter this week so that you guys who are here in person can go and see it in its actual glory and (laughs) enjoy that. Or maybe, Lord, help us out with the video if you you got a minute. If not, we understand you're busy. That's good. Um, So uh, they are in Tennessee, back in Tennessee now, and uh, getting onto the next phase of their development going to uh, eventually be over in uh, Africa. And it's been a good move for them and they drove across country to get there over the last week or so but things are going good so we'll update them and then we're going to close with one final video music video this morning called god is able by uh, hillsong worship and i just hope that it's a blessing to you and uh, when that video is finished we'll be dismissed uh, don't forget i think this week is Clare house or was that already where are we it's a couple of weeks right a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks. just don't forget Clare house first friday of each month uh, You can sign up via email, email Pastor Jason, email me, and help us feed those ladies and those kids. And other than that, I think we're good. Great to see you guys. I love you. Be blessed, and uh, see you again soon.
1: for praying for our family friends